Hello everyone and welcome to Right Brain. Um, this is your podcast for crowdfunded... Well, let's not call it that anymore, Paul. Paul's my co-host, by the way. Hi, Paul. Hi. What do you want to call it, Jeff? Just call it I, podcast. Well, no, we're still going to call it... We're still going to call it Right Brain, but I, I keep I keep introducing it as a podcast about crowdfunded publishing, which is not really what we're doing anymore. Well, we've evolved. It's more about independent writing. Yeah. Well, yeah, we so. had to. I mean, it, there's only so much. The truth is, like, once you've crowdfunded once, then you have a year of production before you should probably consider crowdfunding again. I've crowdfunded twice. You've done it once. Mm-hmm. And it doesn't necessarily give us the experience in crowdfunding that we need to uh, have a, a podcast where we tell people what to do. And it, it, it's a limited subject. Like if we were constantly in crowdfunding campaigns, maybe we'd have more to say about it and like to educate people who could try some Kickstarter or some Patreon. Eh? Ah, Patreon? There you go. Anyways. Worked it in. I like it. But the whole point is, like, we got into the, the the crowdfunding is a tool of the writing, and we want to talk about writing. So I'm going to rework our intro. Welcome to Write Brain. You're podcasting about indie indie publishing, independent writers, and learning how to master those crafts. Eh, still needs work, Paul. Yeah, we'll have to brain you know brainstorm on that one, but. Uh... Yes, we are back, JF, after a short, short hiatus. <laughs> we are back. No, no, we've, Paul, yes, we yes. have done this podcast since we promised to consistently do it on a weekly basis. We have not missed a week. No, no, we have not. No. Not one week. Every, no, and if you think otherwise, you are wrong, and I will belligerently tell you so. <laughs> yes, I think you will probably not win that argument, James. <laughs> I I don't care. I'll yell much louder than they will. Oh, okay. Well, that's what it is. That's what it's all about. You mu- you've been watching too much mm-hmm. fake news, there, Jeff. <laughs> uh, volume, Paul. Volume. <laughs> volume. Yes, volume. So, uh, welcome, like JF said, to our not about crowdfunding anymore. Apparently, podcast. Um, this week we are no, going we'll to talk about crowdfunding, but only when it's relevant. Okay, well, you're right. You're right. So this week we are not going to talk about crowdfunding. Probably we will anyway. But it's in fact since we've eaten up the first almost three minutes, kind of talking about it anyway. So our subject this week is going to be about editing. Um, JF just finished uh, very recently editing. Um, his masterpiece in the making, his future horror novel release, um, A God in the Shed. And uh, he's ready to tell everyone exactly what they should do, and you should all listen because, yeah, he's got all the knowledge. I'm going to sit back and I'm just going to throw in random jokes about things. That's right, Paul. Um, hey, did you ever I see that? I have all the knowledge. Yeah. Do you ever hear that one about the dog and the, the thing and the... The God in the this, Shed is what is I'm really for- getting at. <laughs> is, is, is that the format you're going for? No, no, no. Yeah, no, I mean, the title comes, the title totally comes. I was just supposed to write a coming-of-age uh, book about a, uh, a girl and her dog, and uh, there was a typo, and I had to change That's everything right. from scratch. Yep, threw all uh, of that no, out. No, we're good. We're- we're going to talk a bit about the editing process. We've gone through it a few times each, and... Um, I've talked to a lot of people that are going through it, and it is a grueling, painful... I think it's the worst part of writing. Oh, really? Okay. Okay, no. Self-promotion is worse. 
Self-promotion is difficult. Yes, it's very difficult. Um, I don't know if I agree with you about the worst part of writing. I actually think that the editing process itself is very necessary because it, uh, you know, makes your product stronger. I'm not questioning that. I know, I'm you're just, just saying, saying that, that it's it is, tough. It's, it's the part that's least pleasant. Okay, so, well, well we discussed briefly um, on one show at some point about how you really enjoy the planning stages, right? The brainstorming. Oh, I love the planning yeah. stages. So I can see why editing is difficult for you. It, it, I mean, like, let me say it's not it's not easy for me. It's, it is difficult for me, too. But I, I understand that it is the kind of final finalization and that's what i like about it i think so anyway back to your you know novel I think you, I'm, I'm not throwing no, him enough color commentary here jf you know there was this guy one time and he was um never mind i don't know <laughs> yeah, two two writers walk into a bar. there you go <laughs> they never leave because they're writers so they probably never uh, no, go to the actually, bar in the first it, place because they're writing <laughs> No, they they definitely do. So no, I, but I think you're you're kind of hitting on the head. Like the reason, because I love plotting. Because to me, plotting is I wouldn't say the easiest, but it's easy and it's dynamic and it's it's just bathing in liquid possibility. Like everything is can still happen at that point. And to me, that's awesome. It's just potential. I don't have problems writing. Like I one of the things I'm starting to become more um i want to say lenient but that's not the right word um probably more forgiving of is people complaining about the process of writing like i see people say oh i can't write or i have writer's block i can't find a plot and i'm like but it's that's the easiest part to me and i'm, I'm starting to be more subjective and accepting that what's easy to me may not be easy to someone else and that's the thing like editing for me is hard it is difficult, and that's probably why I like it least, because it's difficult in the way that I don't find challenging, just grueling. Grueling. Okay, so you feel like uh, when you get your notes back and you go through these notes, you're like, oh, this is so um, blank. You fill in the blank. This is so blank right now. What would you say? Um, when I receive notes? Yeah. This is so wrong. See, that's exactly what I was about to say, but I wanted to see what you'd say because I get notes and I'm the same way. I'm like, no, it's perfect this way. But see, I take 24, 48 hours and I feel the anger and the hatred flow through me. And then I really decide that, yeah, maybe this is probably accurate, you know, and then I. Okay, so you, you do that too because that, that was one of the things I was going to unveil. Pro tip, kids, um, when you receive notes from your editor, Always take about 24 hours before you make a decision. Yeah, yeah, obviously everybody does that, apparently. Yeah, well, no, I don't think everybody does do that. But I. But they should, they should. is my, where I'm getting at. And, you know, it's really tough. Like, if you get some uh, beta readers and they give you some notes, usually they're your uh, people that you know reasonably well. And most of the time, if you have, um, you have, you might have two groups. Like, you have these people who, like lob you softballs easy edits well, and then you have other people who really just destroy everything if you don't you should because let, let, oh go ahead let, let me let me let me stop you right there and we're, we're, we're i'm gonna get back to you uh i just want let, let's break down the editing process okay. and tackle it one piece of time because right now you're talking about because i see editing as kind of a f five-step process okay. right you've got your own self-edits that you do 
once you're done with your draft, you do that before you send it out to any other human being. Okay. Then you've got your betas, which like these two stages are kind of like pre-edit. So you've got your better readers, which you were talking about. We'll get back to. Mm-hmm. Then you've got your developmental edits, your line edits, and your copy edits. Right. And these are kind of like the the five stages as far as I've experienced them. Okay. Then let's the, go ahead. So I'm, I was curious, like, I want to get back to the beta, but I want to take this in a structured fashion. So let's start with self-editing. Paul, how? Um, how do well, you self-edit? <laughs> well, I'll tell you how that I do it. There's there's two ways that I do it. Um, I'll sit down and I'll write, okay? Obviously, I'll sit down and I'll write a bunch of stuff. And then, uh, lately, I've been writing on my um, my Mac, okay, in my MacBook, Um and the good thing, the neat thing about Mac is it will read it back to you, okay? But before I wrote on, on the Mac, I was writing on a PC, and it didn't do that, or at least I didn't have the software. I guess it could do that, but it, I didn't have the software. So what I would do um, when I was writing Ageless, uh, I would actually read it out loud to my wife. So my wife has actually never looked at the actual pages of the book because I read the whole thing to her. So um, when, I, when I'm self-editing, I read it out loud, or recently I listen to it being read to me, and that's how I find my most prominent mistakes. And you know what I found that since I've been listening recently, as I've been working on the sequel to Ageless, um, as I've been listening, I find that me not reading it out loud, I find a lot more mistakes if I'm just listening, you know, because I'm not focused on reading it. I don't know if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Um, so... No, it makes absolute sense. Uh, and, you know, I think... one of the biggest problems... Go ahead. I was just going to say, I think Derek, um, Derek Adams of uh, of that book, uh, Asteroid Made of Dragons. Asteroid Made of Dragons. All I can think of was Dragons. The whole Spell Sword series. Yeah, the whole Spell Sword series. In fact, I saw him um, tweet about or, or write something. I don't, I don't remember where it was. But uh, he posted something somewhere, and it said that he likes to actually read his entire book and record it. Um, on a device so he can listen back to it and as he's reading out loud he finds mistakes then he listens back and he finds even more mistakes so i I imagine it works kind of like that so that's basically how i self-edit um in the first run like the dry run like i'll sit down tonight when we get done recording i'm gonna do some writing and uh when i get done i'll right now i'm doing the playback feature so i'll play it back and i'll listen to it and that is my my very very first edits through so after that, I just once I'm done with the whole thing, I'll reread it a couple times, and try to fix some problems that I find plot-wise and pacing-wise and stuff like that. But in my very initial first self-edits, that's how they go. How about you, Jeff? What do you do? I read over and over and over again. What I should do is what you are doing and what Derek does and what I've heard probably a dozen other authors say they do when they self-edit is at have the computer read it read it out loud even if you just read it out loud to yourself it is from all accounts the best way of going about it i can't do it well what i found if- i know i must but i can't what i find about reading it out loud is i i feel the sentence um the pacing of the sentences and the paragraphs. That's what I like. I can kind of tell how it's going to flow, like reading it um, in my mind or whatever you want to say, you know, reading it to myself is, um, is fine, except for, I don't really hear what it's going to sound. I don't know. It's just a weird disconnect. Maybe for me only, I don't know, but uh, I don't really feel the flow as much maybe. And then when I'm reading it out loud, go ahead. Sorry. 
The, the, the very best way of going about it, from my understanding, is that what you're trying to remove is as, as a person who wrote it, reading it to yourself, if you're reading it to yourself in your head, you basically have all your automatic filters. Like, you know before you read it what each sentence is going to be. Right. So even if there is an error, even if there's a glaring mistake, you know what you mean. So it's, it's, it's you know, when someone says something you know, glaringly stupid to you, you call them out on it and they say, I know what I meant. Yeah. It's the exact same situation. And, but it's, you're doing it to yourself for an entire book. The idea is to remove as many of these filters as possible. So if you, if you read it out loud already, you're not just echoing it in your head, but you still have the filter that you know what you wrote. Yeah. You have, uh, if, if you have a friend read it, it's you're removing your own point of view, but you still have intonation. You still have like this human pronunciation. So having a computer read it back to you emotionlessly is from my understanding the best way because you have none of the human elements to sort of protect this, the, the, the intent. And all you're left with is the, 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 the final, the you know, raw product. So if it sounds good coming out of an emotionless computer's voice, mispronouncing in things because it's in composite syllables, <laughs> it'll sound amazing if someone reads it to themselves in quiet, like, you know, just before going to bed at night. Well, you know, it's candlelight drinking tea. <laughs> you know, it's um kind of funny. It's like the computer does a pretty good job. Like most of the words, it gets right. I was really surprised because I was like, I don't know if this is going to be any good, but I was like, I'll try it. So I, mean, I know I what I meant, well. Paul. I know what you meant too, JF. I was just trying okay. to, uh, you know, clarify for myself, okay? Because, you know, I got to do it out loud. We just covered this. <laughs> yeah, right. So, all right. So the, the, the goal of self-edit is, from my understanding, trying to pick up any trying to make the product as clean as possible so that when you send it to, uh, to better uh, readers, basically, I, the, the way I see it for myself anyways, and, and I don't want to generalize, I want my better readers to be able to focus on the big things, if you will. Like, I want them to spot plotting consistencies. I want them to be able to tell me, this character is boring, JF. Murder it. I want them to be able to tell me if there's like anything that's weird. I don't want them to get stuck on typos. Like whenever I send something to better readers, like I make sure like say, if you spot a typo, don't worry about it. But I so don't want them to worry about it. I don't even want them to see typos. So I want to remove all of that prior to sending them to them. Right. But there's only so much you can do by yourself. Exactly. So... How how pardon the expression, but how anal do you get with yourself with your self edits? Like, do you do you try to for something that you would be capable of self publishing, or is there like, do you put like a time limit or a quality limit? This is what's your good enough point? No, I don't. I don't have a good enough point. That's that's part of the problem about being someone who creates stuff. I think because when you're creating, um, I think that. I think that you can get really caught up with that type of stuff, or at least I can. Um, I like to write. I have kind of like a saying kind of around my house and stuff with my family. I'm like, you know what? I want to do it one time. I don't want to do it 50 times. You know what I'm saying? Um, that's that's just who I am, though, and everybody's different. But for me, I try to try to really do my very best before I put it in someone else's hands. 
you know? And I always know that they're gonna, there's going to be issues, always. Because, it's like you said, it's hard to remove yourself, you know? You, you're kind of like, you're going to get blind to the problems, you know? So, mm-hmm. I try my best to have a really clean product, you know? But I, yeah. I found out, especially through Ageless, the full, full novel, it's really hard to have a completely clean product because it's so long, you know? It's so long. It's it's messy by design, almost. Right, almost, yeah. Especially when um, I wrote Ageless, I, I had the idea in my head, but I didn't really know a lot about plotting at that point. So I just kind of wrote down things that I thought were necessary, and I didn't really say, okay, here's... Well, obviously, in nonlinear, it's a little bit more difficult, but I didn't sit down and go, here's Act 1, here's Act 2, here's Act 3, you know, and, and really figure it out. I was maybe more pantsing, although I like to think that I did plot okay because it's difficult to write that type of story and know what's going on you know just Mm. like it's difficult to read or at least so i hear from some people (laughs) anyways editing um so were you still there (laughs) speaking of yes because you 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 froze for a moment um no so so as far as editing is concerned like as far self-editing is concerned I'm the reason why I'm asking you questions more than saying anything is because the way I go about it is the same way I approach any kind of design or artistic work, like an illustration that I do, in the sense that I try to perfect it until I'm no longer moving pieces to improve them, but I'm just moving pieces back and forth right. with no improvement. Once I kind of reach that plateau, that's usually when I'm done. Like I've reached whatever I can do without getting external feedback. And I apply that to when I'm writing. Um, There's definitely things I need to improve. The whole having someone read it out loud back to me needs to happen. It's something that it is just this little mental blockage and it's, it's a plunge I need to take. I just don't feel good hearing my own words read back to me. Mostly because I find errors, and maybe that's the whole point, right, yeah. idiot, yeah. JF? <laughs> so, and anyways, so, yeah. Better readers, Paul. Well, the interesting thing about that uh, for Ageless is I really didn't have... I had my wife, who, like I said, I read it out loud to, and she made a lot of good points. Like, if there was some plot things, she would ask questions about that. Well, I don't understand how you got there when last time I remember we were here... And I was like, okay, well, that's an issue. And I would make a little note and I would fix it. Um, But I had one other person actually read the full story before I sent it to Inkshares, my final manuscript. And the feedback I got from him was, it was great. And I was like, that's it? That's all you got? I got, I mean, it's, you know, 96,000 words and it was great. I am glad it was great, but, you know, anything? There, there. (laughs) There should be more. And that that brings us back to what you were saying initially. Like one of the things that I do, um, and I'm very rarely proud of how I process things, but when I decided to get some better readers for one of my first books, I feel I did it a good way and I, I attribute that to reading how other people do, do other people do it and like having a bit of a management background is essentially I, I knew like that some of my friends would want to read it I also knew that some of these friends would want to read it and there was no way they would give negative feedback so 
I sort of use this as kind of a an ego group. Like these are the people whose opinions I will read to make myself feel better about my book. Then I intentionally chose a few people that I knew would be harshly critical. Uh, people that would not necessarily jerks, not people that would be mean to me for the sake of being mean. There's no point in doing that. But people that I knew would pride themselves in finding errors. Yeah, like con- and for that, a g- constructive criticism. Even a bit meter to that. Yeah. Like people that would, I, like I said, I don't want them to be jerks or assholes. I need, but I wanted people that would hunt down errors, inconsistencies, continuity problems like it was a game. And I'm lucky to have, I have a, an engineer brother who loves doing that kind of stuff, deconstructing what I do. Um, no, no, he's, he's actually very, very good and supportive about these things, but he's got a good eye for these things. And he's not the kind of guy who's going to say, well, I need to preserve his fragile ego. So I won't mention this. No, it's like, no, this needs to be mentioned because it's garbage. So I have this other end of the scale where I have three people that are brutally critical of the work. And then I have a few people in the middle that are going to be just as happy telling me if something is good as telling me if something is bad. And it's funny because the first group is, I hate to say it, apart from the ego thing, are useless. They're super fun, and I think they're necessary because of the ego shoring up Definitely. that you need when you need other some, people are criti- criticizing yourself. Yeah, you need some cheerleaders. But at the same time, oh, yeah, God damn it, absolutely. Uh, <laughs> But otherwise, their feedback very rarely influences the product. Now, most of these people I've called out as cheerleaders, so they're trying to be a bit more critical, which is fine. But I figured out that the people who are kind of the middle group tend to be better at figuring out the emotional aspects of the book. Because they're not necessarily looking for specific quantifiable errors, they're the ones who are going to say things like, oh, this character, I don't really feel that character. I don't understand them. And they'll be able to both point out like those kind of ethereal qualities and equally immaterial flaws in the book that are hard to define. Meanwhile, the third group, the really harsh people are the ones who are going to say, yeah, you mentioned that this character has a Coke can and like in his hand and two chap- two paragraphs later, it's a Pepsi can. Fix that. So it's... It's interesting to see how um, better readers tend to specialize, right? so to speak. Right. Well, you know what's neat is um, when I was writing and I wrote the short story for the now defunct Too Many Controllers um, anthology, uh, I actually got that in a lot more hands. Um, and I have a few readers like who would cheerlead, and I had a few readers who were kind of, I don't want to say overly critical, but critical, you know. Um, And then there was a couple of people in our actual, out of the 15 of us that read it, and they made some good suggestions and everything. And it it was a lot different experience for that than I had with Ageless. And I thought that was good, and it made the story stronger. Um, One thing that I find difficult, any criticism... um, of any criticism, it's just that initial, okay, is this person actually right, or, you know, 
is it just their opinion of being right? Do you know what I mean? Like, if you say, no, okay, absolutely. okay, it was a Coke can and this one is a Pepsi, that's cut and dry. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking like, if you're talking about plots or character development or something like that, you know what I mean? That uh, that mm-hmm. more subjective material is really difficult to make a decision a decision on, you know? Um a good example would be uh, with, well, we'll talk about that in the next little part because it really pertains more to the next part. Go ahead. Yeah, the the, the, the idea of dividing between uh, empirical errors and subjective errors is kind of very important how to approach the editing process. So you right now you're, wor- you're working on the, uh, the sequel to Ageless. Yes, and yes. And eventually you're going to be done with the first draft. You're going to have a computer read it out to you and uh-huh. you're going to correct it as best as you can. And you will uh, inevitably have to send it to better readers. Do you have better readers selected, or do you have a plan on how to get better readers? What's uh, what's Paul gonna do? I currently Paul? don't. I don't. I don't. I don't have anyone selected currently. Um, I well, right now I'm really focused on trying to write it more than I'm worried about someone reading it currently, because I don't know. I mean, that's just how I work. Usually, one step at a time. You know, that's actually probably why Ageless ended up not having very many. Because I didn't, that wasn't, that was not important to me. Well, because I'm really a new writer and uh, mm-hmm. it's, it wasn't a step that I was, I was like aware of it, sort of like on the periphery, you know, but I wasn't really, didn't really know about, you know, that I needed to have people read it. I mean, I knew I, I knew I needed to have people read it, but I didn't really understand the process, you know? So this time I'm going yeah, to I'm- make a bigger deal out of it. So. I'm I'm pathologically insecure, so I knew that if I was putting anything in the public eye, I would have everybody I could um, sort of proofread it and read it for me and make sure that something, like, basically have more eyes on it to correct it as much as possible because I'm terrified of public opinion. Well, what'd you do? Um, what did you do? Because you did self-publish um, uh, Life Engineered previous to... Yeah. Getting it published through Inkshares. So one of the things, like I'm I'm lucky that I have a fairly big pool of better readers. And I know that's not the case for everyone. And in, in fact, I'm I'm in several Facebook groups where I'll have I'll see people just begging for better readers, having trouble finding better readers, and more importantly, having trouble finding better readers that will actually come back to them. And I'm going. I'm going to borrow. Okay, I'm, I'm going to say a, a, a few things about better readers and getting better readers. That is, this is how I function, and it's built on how like some tips and tricks I heard here and there. So basically, I've when I started when I decided I wanted to self-publish Life Engineered, I wanted better readers. So I went on various communities of people I knew were creative and asked, hey, who wants to read a book and give me comments? And I also asked my friends on Facebook. And I got a pretty good response. The One of the first things I realized, and I know, again, from man, doing management, is that people work better on a deadline, strict deadline, with reminders. You need to treat them. If, you're, if you want to treat your book seriously, you need to ask of other people to also, uh, you know, treat it seriously so just going in whoever said hey i'll better read your book i would personally privately message and say okay cool thank you very much this is what i expect of you i will send you i will send you the pdf or whatever format you want immediately however i need answers i need you to be able to come back to me in 
this many months. I gave him three months, which is a lot of time, plenty of time for most people, especially since Life Engineered isn't a big book. So you need to come back to me on this date. I include also a PDF with some questions that I would like you to answer. Half of them you can answer at any point during your reading. The rest I'd rather you answer after you're completely done. I am looking for this kind of information, specifically, do the, are, is the book interesting? What parts are more interesting? What parts are less interesting? Et cetera, et cetera. Like I had some things and here are the things I don't want you to bother with. Don't worry about typos. Don't worry about grammar. Like, I'm sorry that there's going to be errors, but at this point in the game, even if I, even if you spend time correcting these things for me, I'm going to rewrite half of it anyway. So it's going to be a waste of everybody's time. So here are the things I want you to focus on. Here are the things I don't want you to focus on. This is your deadline. Are you still in? And knowing the facts, then they would say yay or nay. It's like, oh, well, I didn't know you would need it this fast or I didn't know you want something so thorough. I'm backing out. Or some people would be, most people would be, sure, I'm in. And I would send it out as fast as possible. And then after two months, two, like two thirds of the way in, I would say, hey, how's it going? Are you enjoying it? Et cetera, et cetera. Now, once the three months were done, I got, part of it back. Some of them I had to say, hey, if you finished it, can you again send me back the feedback? And they did. And obviously I had some people that never came back. Now here's the thing. Those people are kind of a lost cause. A lot of people will say, you need to harass them. If you need to harass people to read your book, there's two possibilities. Either they are not the correct demographic for your book, and that is fine to make a note of that. Or if no one's getting back to you, maybe the book is just not hooking people, assuming you have more than two better readers. And that's something you need to take a note of. Like then if no one's coming back, you say, hey, did you stop at a certain point? What point was it? Blah, blah, blah. Like you can engage people. But here's the long-term thing. I'm almost done, Paul. The oh, man, I was about to step is, out. <laughs> oh, well. So the long-term thing is everybody that came back to me with some feedback, I then started categorizing them into what kind of better readers they were and also like, did they come back? Did they not come back? Um, the people who did not come back, did they give me a reason? What was it? So that next time I had a book to better read, I had my pool of better readers already ready. And then I put on a second call for more people and increased my better pool, right? Or refreshed the people that fell out of it. And the goal is that it's going to be hard for the first few books, but the goal is that after a few, you know, five books, I should have a pretty good team of reliable better readers that I can go back and forth with. Yeah, that's a good goal. It really is. And I am not in the stage that you are yet, but I'd like to be in the future. Uh, I thought well, it was... you will be. Uh, yes, I will be. Um, I thought it was interesting about how you were talking about that you gave them some guidance. That's something that I did when um, with the short story from uh, Too Many Controllers. I gave my readers some, some guidelines. You know, these questions, you know, don't worry about this, all the stuff that you mentioned. You know, I'm not going to repeat, even though I just did, so... <laughs> but uh yeah so once you get through the beta uh phase you have uh hopefully gotten some kind of uh deal where you can get full editorial 
on your novel, which includes um, the uh, first one, which is I can't think of it right now. Why did I just blank out? Um, developmental edits. And, mm-hmm. you know, then you get your line edits and your copy edits and your final proof right. and all that stuff. So if you get through um, those stages and you are lucky enough to be able to receive that kind of help, um, what would what would your advice be, JF? What, what, I mean, how did that process go for you? Since you really just kind of finished doing those things, so it's fresh in your mind. For me, it's been more than a year now, so or about a year. Well, so the... Um the the thing is the whole the first thing you need to be comfortable with and this is something that i i was very lucky for the life engineers to have first of all i had a book that already had gone through some level of professional copy uh, 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 developmental editing so it was not a problematic book to give to my editor um, gotcha. I also had a very, I had a, a very good editor in the sense that we got along well. So it was, I got eased into the world of editing, which is good because for people that have fragile egos like me, editing can be a problem. And one of the first things that I had to realize, and I had to kind of relearn this the second go around, is that the editor is not trying or should not be trying to reshape the story. The idea is that they read the book, they read the story, they understand it as best as they can, and they understand what the goal and the message of the story is. Understanding that, they are trying to make that same story with those same goals the best version of itself that it can. Under that premise, if you, if the editor understands that and you as the writer understand that, then you can go into each note and taking 24 hours between reading them and acting on them, you can try to better interpret. Like when they say, hey, this chapter, it needs to go. You need to understand that they're not trying to tell you that your chapter is bad. They're trying to remove a chapter that may not be um, pushing the story forward enough, or it may be too like it may be self-indulgent. Like, and and this is one of the biggest issues too. Like, first of all, you can always refuse to do what an editor tells you to, but more importantly, these are not they're they're not uh, yes no questions. If an editor sends you a note and you disagree with it, it is probably better for you to question why the note exists than to say no. If you do say no, you should probably back it up with an explanation because you can expect, like if, if, if the, um, like a good example was for Ageless, your editor was suggesting strongly that you make it a linear story. And the reason being that it would probably be easier to read. Right. And your answer to that was, no, it absolutely needs to be nonlinear because you need to feel what the main character is feeling. Right. That was very important to you and it's very important to the, to the, the book. The book would probably be, have been probably as good linear, but it would be missing that little tiny something that makes you really understand what the character is going through like this right. this displacement in time right so 
the thing is, this is something you stuck your heels in, but you explained it to you explained it to your editor, and I did. That's important for your editor to understand what your point of view is, because as you go back and forth, if she doesn't understand why you're doing this, she's going to keep bringing similar notes back. Yes. Because her point of view is still, this needs to be linear. Right. So later on, when she sees a you know I don't know a chapter that's out of place and like. It gives information in a weird way because of the chronology. She'll mention that because she's not seeing it through the filter of the nonlinear. It's the same thing for any note that you're going to reject. Now, I should specify, dev developmental edits uh, are specifically about the structure and flow of the story. Like A good example of the type of thing that you can kind of expect from developmental edits I lost characters, whole characters, and got in the shed, and had some background characters brought back to the brought brought to the front line because they needed to be more important. Um, I also reduced a lot of point of view. Like I, I was jumping from a lot of character to another character to another character. Probably does a dozen different characters' point of view were explored during the entire book, and we've reduced that by at least half which means a lot of points in the stories were taken from one character's point of view and moved to another character's. It's the same scene, but viewed to different eyes. So it has to have a different tone and all that. So you can expect some sweeping changes. Just percentage-wise, I rewrote 47% of a 110,000-word book. That's basically I rewrote a NaNoWriMo's worth of book for God in the Shed as far as just developmental edits. This is a lot of work and you need to have good work ethics to go through it. Um, and you need to also have the ego to say, yeah, I need to sacrifice this entire character. I need to sacrifice this entire chapter. It is tough. It is tough. There was a um, chapter in Ageless that uh, was jumping around POV. Like you just said, you had a lot of points of view. Um, there was a chapter that was purposely jumping around um in the same chapter, which uh, no other chapter in Ageless really does that. Um, so I think that the uh, there's a fun name for that. Is it head hopping or something? I don't forget what it is. But uh, yeah, head hopping is when you're changing point of views within the same chapter. Now I, I should specify just to defend myself that within God in the Shed there was only one instance of that actually happening that was called out and corrected. What I meant is that I had several chat, like I had basically twelve point of views each in their own chapters right. but still a lot of point of right views. right right well so i had um three point of views in one chapter and it was it was experimental um i was really trying to uh i was trying to write something that i was seeing in my brain like if you if you think about a television show okay because i see a lot of my stuff in my mind like a uh like its own little movie or, or TV show or something like that. That's how I visualize. I'm a visual person. So I have to really visualize and really see what's going on. So I was thinking, and it was experimental, and I was thinking that, you know what? If I am with this character, I can just jump over, um, you know, make a little break in the chapter and just jump over to this character and relive that same amount of time and then jump over to this character and relive that same amount of time. It was really... Um, for me reading it, obviously I thought it read all right, you know, I thought, cause I submitted it with my manuscript, but I guess when, um, the dev, the, the dev editor read it, she was not really following or thought it wasn't working. Either way, I ended up scrapping that whole chapter. It was more than 5,000 words, which was a, a, a pretty lengthy chapter. And, um, I rewrote 
you know, actually I ended up with more words in the chapter. And uh, I, yeah, I just kept it at one POV. And um, I shifted it around to where actually uh, you stuck with Alice and it happened after the chapter that I actually wrote. So, I mean, so you kind of got, during that chapter, you kind of got a little bit of flashback um, from all from her point of view. So um, I eventually took that same chapter that I cut and uh, I completely gutted it and rewrote it, and it became that uh, short that I put out on the same day called Selfless. So um, there's a little fun fact for you. You can find Selfless for free somewhere online, I'm sure. Um, in fact, I think it's on my author page, authorpage.com slash Paul SC, right? <laughs> I don't know if that's even right, but it's something like that. <laughs> but uh, um, the developmental edit was really challenging for me because, like you said, that nonlinear aspect of Ageless was a, a large character, I mean, even for, for the story. Um, I, I looked at it like, this has to be like this, so you can feel the disorientation of what it feels like to know that you're still, um, through through Alice's eyes, you're, you're experiencing this large amount of time, but you're not changing, you know? per se, physically, I guess. Emotionally, you probably change. Like, she changes a little bit. Um, actually, you know what's funny about that is when when one thing that the one guy who said it was good, he actually said, I don't think that it's Alice's story. Alessandra is the, the character, Alice. Um, he said, I don't think that it's her story. I think that it is your um, CIA guy's story. He's like, that's what I feel like, because, you know, she's being kind of chased by the CIA so and uh I don't know I kind of was like really and he said yeah he goes because if you think about it he actually changes he's the dynamic character and she's not really dynamic and I said well there's a larger story here um it's not over really you know and he's like oh I got that from the from the epilogue and I was like yeah um so she didn't really do much changing because sh- her it's not finished you know for her so Hence, sequels to Ageless. Sequels, that's right, I pluralized. Right now I'm writing one, but it's not really a direct sequel, so... The direct sequel is being planned, also, currently. Um, If anybody's interested, and if you're not, that's okay, too. (laughs) Um, The developmental edit for me, though, it was... That was the toughest edit. I thought the line edit and the copy edit were were simple in comparison. um, Because they're really not so involved the developmental edit is really like let's take your book and make this book the best it can be story not not your actual book but let's take the story and make the story the best it can be and you know it's grueling like you said jf but it's rewarding i think when you're done there's it's a well usually going to be a better product it's um yeah it's it's this necessary thing that you need to do to make the book better then it's followed by line editing which Line editing is just embarrassing, as far as I'm concerned. Yeah, because that's where they really like check your grammar and your typos and stuff, right? Well, that's actually that's actually copy. Oh, that's copy editing. Does yeah, that so. and does could remember. <laughs> li- line editing is where it's it's I I I don't want to say I have a hard time with line editing. It's actually something that I don't have that much difficulty. It just a constant reminder that I'm not that good at dialogue. This is the part where line editing, if, if I'm not mistaken, like I maybe I'm getting this wrong, but the, um, 
the, the whole point is kind of a, a more micro level of uh, developmental edits where you're not developing the stories, you're developing the actual text. You're correcting the tone. This is where you'll have someone say, yeah, that character, um, she probably wouldn't say what she's saying with those words because that's not how you established her so far. So if you have a character that's always polite and she doesn't have a really good reason, but she has a, a, a line where she's just swearing like a sailor, that's where a developmental editor will like catch you on that. It's the same thing. This developmental uh, line editing is all where like the, the continuity errors are spotted, all the the little things that make a, an otherwise good book sound dumb. <laughs> so you did you have a lot of mistakes? Now that you're uh, explaining it. Because like I said, it's been a long time for me. I think I did developmental edits in November of 2015. And line edits probably in December of 2015. So it's been a while for me. Um, but uh, yeah, this is the part that makes you look like you, you don't pay attention to your own work. <laughs> so it can be a little bit embarrassing when you're like, no, that's of course, of course that character would never say that ever. But I mean, you know, she did then, I guess. <laughs> so... And you have to go through and you have to really like make sure that you are consistent. That's that's the big thing. Consistency. Yeah. And I like I said, I don't I don't feel I don't feel line edits are as harsh just because they're not yet technical, but they're so micro and they're usually things that feel so obvious when pointed out. Right. And when they when you don't agree, these are very much like yes no's like Oh, you should do this. No, I don't feel like it. Like, this is how I want the character to speak in that moment. It's important for some reason that's mine. I'm keeping the line as is. But more often than not, I find that whatever the editor says as far as the line editing is concerned, I'll go, absolutely, sure, you're absolutely right. This this was dumb how it's written, and I'll correct it. Which is multiplied by 10 when you get to copy editing, because copy editing is the most empirical editing and there's <laughs> I say it's very boring to review because most of the time it's like yeah okay yes you're right I misspelled that correct that is a typo <laughs> there's it's very hard to question uh it absolutely is and that's when when I'm on the copy when I was on the copy ads I remember going oh my gosh why didn't I pay more attention in English class because apparently I have no idea how to use a comma jf zero zero ideas mm-hmm. I just put commas everywhere except for where they actually go you know I'm the worst um, yeah, I have that. apparently have that problem too. Oh, dude, I should t- I should send you my uh, my copy edits. It's terrible. All it is is commas being moved like one one word back. <laughs> it, and I'm really gonna go. Oh, okay, yeah, that makes sense. All right, moving yeah. on. <laughs> so I just accept, 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 accept. It's a very it's it's I, I don't want to say it's a quick process, but it's a very mindless process. Once in a while, you encounter something like. The, the 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 copy editor will say, "Are you sure you want to use this word?" And this is where you have more of a decision to make, right? And because you know, at, at least the editor, uh, the editor I had for Gone the Shed was actually excellent. Like she she would she would give me options, she'd give me suggestions, saying, "I know what you mean with this word. Do you think that this other word would work better?" And right, this I had is where that I too. would have a, and th- those are fun conundrums. This is this is where I'm learning because I'm going, huh maybe right. sometimes no but other times yes it's great 
But yeah, otherwise, copy editing, there's not much to say about that. It's about correcting your grammar, making sure you don't have too many typos. Um, a good copy editor will also spot repeats, which a lot of us are victims of, but me in particular. I like to use the word, the same word over and over again, and it's nice to be, uh, to be told to stop that. Right. I'm, uh, I'm bad about that, too. Um, and I read a book. I don't know when it was. Not too long ago. Sometime in the last year. And it used... I can't remember what the word is now. Grimmest? I think it was grimmest. I used that a lot. Like, every chapter, someone was grimacing. You know? And I was like, okay. I would use the word instinctive, or worse, instinctively. <laughs> which is both a word that I would use very often, and an adverb, which would make the editor very angry. <laughs> Not angry, because they're professionals, but it's... And, and having it highlighted to you and realizing, I'm looking at one page, and there are three of these same, the same words highlighted. How did I reread this book and not notice that I'm a broken record? Because you're instinctively doing what you do best. <laughs> instinctively, yes. So, you know, what's funny about that is like um, on iBooks or whatever, um, I have my ebook version of Ageless and you can search by word. So when I'm when I was first going through that, um, I would see a word that I kind of used a lot or whatever. And uh, I would search for that word and it would be like, we have found 400 results. And I was like, oh, my gosh, I use this word a lot. Um, but it was funny. I, I was amused by that. But then I was justified. I was like, oh, 400 out of 96,000. That's not that bad. You know, um, but it's funny. It's pretty hilarious to me. So I think copy editing for me was uh, the most relaxed because at that point I was like, just, I'm trusting you. You're a professional. Unless, you know, unless I had a situation was where, would you rather use this word or this word? Then I would really have to think about it. But most of the time I was like, yeah, that's good. And I felt like I was in the home stretch at that point. You know, I was like, the edits are almost done. When I get done with this, that's done. Done. Well, here, here's the thing that kind of made copy editing a bit more stressful for me. And it's, it's actually not the copy editing as much as the fact that we were up against the wall of a very tight deadline. Is that at the very, like the last manuscript I submitted, I still had a few questions that felt unresolved or rather changes like the, the copy editor said, yeah, this sentence structure is wrong. Could you rewrite it? Here's a suggestion, but you should probably have a look at it. And I would say, ah, I don't like what she did. And I would rewrite something, but this is a new piece of text that now I want her to have a look at right. and come back to me. But we were running out of time for this kind of back and forth. So it was getting very, very stressful. Did not like I, uh, I I think next time I'm I'm hoping that we do our copy editing and uh, and we still have plenty of time like at least a week to make sure that we get all the back and forth we need. Now I'm not saying that we didn't get through everything we did, but there I mean it just felt rushed. Some right? of it involved yeah it felt it felt rushed and to to her credit the the, the editor she did a, a really good job of not rushing like of actually taking every single point and evaluating my questions thoroughly and getting back to me but it did mean that i would send something out like i would wake up early in the morning go over what she sent me very quickly before work send it to her and then on, at lunchtime get back what she sent me go over that send it back like the last day was rough 
Well, the um, and I I know that I have said this before on this podcast, but don't mess around and mess up your deadlines, okay? Because I had to cut the crucial, and I believe this is crucial, proofread step. And because of that, I have been told uh, countless times, countless times that, hey, I found seven typos in your book. Hey, I found some typos in your book. Hey, there's seven typos. And I'm like, okay, thanks. I, I know. It's my own fault. I'm the worst. Just burn the book, okay? If you have my book, just burn it, okay? Just just burn it. And then purchase another one. There's <laughs> there's always going to be typos. Oh, like, I know that. Go 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 to the library, grab a book, bring it home with a highlighter. Um, go to a bookstore, not the library. Yeah. And read it and Don't highlight. highlight all the typos. Don't. You'll even <laughs> even ancient books, typos are just a fact of life. Oh, I know. Errors are another problem. Like if you have an actual grammatical error yeah. that sticks, that's a bit more embarrassing. But a typo, it's like, ah, eh, it's just a typo. Yeah. Now, if there's a typo every sentence, different problem. Yes, of course. More anger. Of course. And I'm, you know, I, uh, I'm okay with the typos, but people who read the book, they, they see those things, you know, because their eyes are fresh on the, on the words. And so they're going to see when you use, uh, you know, when you pluralize something that shouldn't be plural, you know, by mistake, uh, and it happens, but just don't mess around with your deadlines, all right, JF? That's what I'm trying to say. Don't mess around. Meet them, and don't be a loser like I was, you know? Okay. <laughs> Dad. Do as I do, so, yeah. not... I mean, do as I say, not as I do, you know? So, <laughs> so yeah, so this, this is a very general overview of, uh, of the editing process. At some point, I want to get an actual professional editor to come on the show and talk to us about editing. Tell us what we get wrong because I'm sure we got oh a few gosh. things. Give us tips. You? I'd love, <laughs> I'd I'd love to have like a you know an editor that I'm not involved in a project right, with come on the show and give us some act some tips, what to look for, what to how how to make their job better. That would be amazing. Uh, so I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna start arranging that. I have a few options and I've been looking into this. So let's do it. I'm excited. I would love that. And if anybody has any 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 questions that we can't answer, because why would we know how to answer this? We're not editors. But if you have comments or like corrections that you want to send us, please do. And where would they do that, Paul? Uh, well, probably easiest way if you have Twitter is go to our Twitter. It's at rightbrain underscore. Um, you could also email JF at jfdubo nineteen seventy. What is it? Four six? Well, I forget your email address. My email address is uh, jfdubeau, J-F-D-U-B-E-A-U, 1976 at gmail.com. Yes. That, and um, I say email JF not because I don't want your emails, but because he handles all the uh, posting of the episodes and stuff. And it's easy to find his email if you are on his website, which is? jfdubeau.com. That's J-F-D-U-B-E-A-U.com, where you can find all the information about whatever project I'm working on and also sign up for my newsletter. And you can uh, find RightBrain there too, right? Isn't it slash RightBrain? That's all it is, right? jfdubo.com slash Yeah, it's just jfdubo.com slash RightBrain. And uh, you can go to my website if you'd like, paulinmansc.com, P-A-U-L-I-N-M-A-N, the letters S and C, 
Com, and you can sign up for my mailing address as well somewhere. I'm not really sure where it is, but it might be there. And if it's not, I'll put it there. Um, so, yeah, JF, that brings us to the end of episode. This is number 40. Can you believe that? 40. I have no problem believing And that. it only took us just slightly over a year and three or four months to get there. <laughs> Our weekly show when, has taken a year, yeah, a year and a half to we, get we haven't, to not even a year's worth. But, but the good news is we haven't skipped a week since we promised not That's to skip right. any. So we're we're in good shape. <laughs> until next w- time. Until next time. Next week. Next, <laughs> until next week. week. Until next week. <laughs> <laughs>